Welcome to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. And Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Welcome. Good evening. This is uh, Breaking the Silence. I'm Greg Williams here live from the most awesome city in the world, Houston, Texas. And just look at this behind me. Is that not gorgeous? The sunset is going right over the Texas Medical Center. And I just that's the reason I bought this place, because I because of that right there. When I walked in, I said, I want it. Uh, but just love that it gives you because it's glass all the way around. And I just enjoy uh Feeling, I'm not sure I enjoy the heat coming in the windows uh, right now as much as they are. But welcome to the program tonight. I really think um, you're going to get a lot out of tonight. You, this is one of those that you want to grab a, a piece of paper and a pencil and maybe take down some notes and some tidbits of things that you can actually use during the week of how to be better to yourself, how to understand why you do what you do and when you do it and how you do it and what can you do to make what you do even better. Uh, and I hope she does it better than I just explained it to you. But uh, how to do some self-care, how to take care of yourself uh, and make time for you and, and what's important uh, in life. I want to kind of give you a, a prelude that next week's program, uh, we have Nathan Spateri, uh, the author of Toy Cars. He is an, uh, from Australia. Uh, he's an actor in New York City. Uh, I taped that show yesterday, and it ended up being an absolutely fantastic program. And we are running that next Sunday night. He couldn't be live, so we went ahead and pre-taped it. And that's next Sunday night's show. You won't want to miss it. As a matter of fact, the next few weeks are going to be uh, great guests. And tonight is no exception to that rule. I promise you that. Money-back guarantee. Just email me, and I'll send you all the money that this show costs you tonight, which is zero. But money-back guarantee, anyway. Matter of fact, I'll do a double money-back guarantee tonight that you're going to get blessed and honored uh, if you just share a few minutes with us. Um, I always like to start out the program. First of all, be thinking of me Wednesday and Thursday. I'll be driving to Dallas, Texas, and I'll be speaking in front of 5,500 people uh, at the Crimes Against Children Conference, which is one of my favorite conferences of the entire year each year. And I've been involved with them uh several years already, and I just love that conference, uh, filled with FBI agents, uh, police, um, judges, lawyers, and just a really a wonderful mix of people that advocate, protect uh, children 
and we're going to be talking about the dramatic effects of what trauma does and toxic stress does to our kids and also what it does to us. I always want to start off the program each week with uh, letting you know kind of what's on my mind. And, you know, it seems like when you have uh, in your hands, you've been dealt uh, five cards like a, a poker hand. And those are the cards that every now and then that, that you realize that those are the cards that you're going to get with life. But every now and then you pull out a card and you say, I'll trade that in on this. And then the dealer of life throws you another card and you pick it up and you go, oh, no, that wasn't the one I wanted. I don't want to deal with that. And you have no other opportunity to trade that card back in. You're stuck with what life has handed you. Uh, I'm in one of those situations right now with my health. Uh, what do you do with that? How do you handle that? And I'm writing uh, a book on that. I'm writing some seminars on that and some trainings on that. How do you deal with when you're looking in the mirror that the person that's looking back at you has a limited time on the earth? But in reality, your time may be shorter than mine. So how do we deal with time? And I've noticed in my own walk, since I've received this wonderful news uh, a few weeks ago, that time has become a different element to me, uh, a different tool to me. And in reality, time is life's most precious resource. And I have wasted so much time when I was raising my kids. Uh, I thought being a father and being a new father, uh, my kids are 30 or some years old now. So um, I thought going to work and just putting in 20, 22 hours a day uh, was the best way to do it so I could buy more stuff. And that wasn't what it was about. Because my kids will tell you right now, and I just got to visit with a couple of them uh, past weekend uh, when they came down to Houston. Um, it was the times that I got to spend with them, the time that I made for them, the time that we had fun in the backyard playing catch or, or wrestling or, or riding bikes or just taking walks or whatever it was. But it was the time that I got to spend with them and share with them became their most valuable memories. It wasn't the toy that I took the time in buying. And I don't believe I've ever been at the bedside of a dying hum human being that in their last words said, Greg, I wish I spent more time at the office. That's just not true because it's never going to be said. Time is something that is so important. And I think we need to stop wasting our time on people who don't reflect you that don't appreciate you and don't value you. We waste our time on people and we waste our time so much and our resources and our efforts trying to get people to like us. And in reality, no matter what we do, they're still going to have that same opinion of us. And yeah, that eats my lunch, but maybe I should push that to the side and spend time with people that I know care for me love me, respect me, and want 
to spend time with me. And I don't want to waste my time anymore, my energy on things that I can't change. I need to just learn to be able to walk away from toxic people. And they're all around us. I'm going to run into some at the office tomorrow. Even though Baylor College of Medicine is the best place in the world to work, I'll cross a couple of them. I'll have them in my office or in my vicinity. What do I need to do with that? Waste more time on them or just ignore it and move on when sometimes it's hopeless situations and I don't need to waste it on. Don't waste your time this week and this coming week on trying to get people to love you. Spend your time with those people that already do. There's only one time that is important and it's now. So when you get a bad report, don't let it discourage you. Let it energize you. Don't let it put a a hole in your tank and drain you of everything that you have lived for. Let it fill your tank of saying, hey, I'm going to strive even harder to make these minutes, these hours, these weeks, these months, however long, to be the most valuable they can be, the most impactful they can be. And I am not even close to putting my cards together and folding. I'm ready to double down because the hand that I've been dealt is going to be one of the best hands I've ever experienced in my life if I just choose to use the time wisely. What about you? What about your life? What about your time? What about your week next week? Just evaluate it. Do a self-audit of how you spend your time, just like we do audits on our money, audits on our budget. Look at your time. And most of the time, you can look in your checkbook to be able to figure out how you really spend your time. What do you spend it on? And who do you spend it on? Because, folks, I hate to break the news to you. I'll tell you a secret. Life's short. No matter how long it is, it's never long enough. Value your time because I know you're worth it. And I am too. Tell you what, I have a a new friend on tonight as our guest. Uh, I met Krista Mayfield uh, at a United Against Human Trafficking Steering Committee that she is newly on. And we are blessed to have her on that steering committee. And I was sitting next to her and I was listening to her spew this wisdom in a meeting. And sometimes I I try to talk too much, but that meeting, I think I sat back and listened more than I ever had. And she was one of the people. And you're probably going to get to listen to the other one or two that was in that meeting because I've invited them to be on the program, too. And when I found out the type of heart that she has, the type of passion that she has for life, and the the purpose of what she has in her uh, mission in life, I had to share her with our listeners tonight. And it is an honor tonight to bring on with you tonight Krista 
Mayfield, and she is the founder, CEO, president, all of those different uh, titles of Good Sustain. Krista, can you hear me tonight? Welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you so much. You are the kindest for that introduction. I appreciate it. I'll tell you, it, it, it's so true. How many times you've been in a meeting and you go, oh, man, that was a waste of, like I spoke, of time. But that meeting was life-changing to me. I don't know about you. It was rich. It was really oh. rich. Yeah. So tell me, Krista, share with us and the people that may not know of you or Good Sustain, what is it that you have the purpose of, the mission of, a life goal of, and why did you create this organization? And maybe you want to kind of just give us a little bit, I could have read it, but I'd way prefer to hear from you, uh, a background of your work in these organizations. And then you decided to say, hey, wait, I'm going to create my own. Tell me all about it, Krista. Well, I am on a mission to change our approach to social service. And as I say that, I, I want to also acknowledge um, that I don't have the answers and I, I don't know everything. Um, and I I don't think that we need to erase everything. And so on, on one hand, that's a very, it borders on being an arrogant, <laughs> a dangerously arrogant statement. Um, but I am, I'm deeply passionate about altering some of the things that I have seen, some of the things that I've experienced, some of the things that I have done in social service um, and centering our work around value in a new way. And so how I got into all of this and what Good Sustained is, um, I have been in the anti-human trafficking space for about eight and a half years now and was one of the first hired staff members of a fledging new nonprofit in the Houston area. And so that means I I did it all. You know, I did social media and volunteer management and emptied the trash and spoke in front of large audiences and then wrote the presentations. And we were, you know, it's all hands on deck. It's all systems go. And that's in any nonprofit, right? Any type of justice work or, you know, heart work. We're all pedal to the metal. We're all getting what we've got. Um, but then, of course, I'm working in this anti-human trafficking space, which is just by nature kind of trauma-soaked, if you will. Um, and the combination of secondary trauma from what I was hearing, I also stepped into direct service. And so I was an advocate working directly with people coming out of that life and needing support. Um, I was I essentially started our advocacy program, which is now large and established and developed and with trained people, but I did not have any of that. I just answered the need in front of me at the time and um, had my own experiences with vicarious trauma burnout. And I I hit the end of my rope so many, multiple times, just completely fried. I lost myself. I was angry. I was bitter. I didn't know who I was. I felt heavy all of the time. Um, and I just, I started asking the question, does it have to, is it, am I doing it wrong? Um, if you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a one on the Enneagram. So I'm always asking that question. Am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it right? And, um, 
but I just kept asking, like, does it have to be this hard? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it well? Um, and I'm a believer and I know Dr. Greg, you've, you know, shared about your faith on this show. And, um, and I just kept asking, I was like, man, is this, are we really doing this? Like Jesus is doing this. Are we missing something here? Because I feel like there's a lot of pressure. And when I kept asking myself, what am I, what do I feel right? I just felt pressure. I felt so much pressure to do it all, to be it all, to save the people, to, to, to not even save them, but to, but to be in the action. I had to be in the action. I had to be where it was hard. I had to be where it hurt. If it wasn't hard, I wasn't doing it right. Now, I know that's partly my personality, partly my bent, but I was also seeing this, you know, in my organization. I was seeing it in our partners. We collaborated with law enforcement. We collaborated with CPS. And I'd show up at the hospital to meet a client because we just got a call from a detective. They, you know, recovered someone off the street that had run away. I come to meet them at a hospital. I see their caseworkers who'd been up for 24 or 48 hours. And they're looking, you know, just as beat or worse than I am. And I just began to interact with people. And I noticed that our own exhaustion, our own state of just burnt outness was impacting the quality of work that we did. And I just got really curious about that. And I got really curious about why why do we do it this way? Why is, is this really working? Is there another way we could do this? And I just started asking a lot of questions um, because I I believe that it was possible for people in social service, people that are caregivers and helpers and protectors in our community who engage in really hard work. I believe that we can come at this from a healthier place, from a, a more nourished, a more whole, more full place and that it will better the work that we do. Um, and so as I was asking these questions, I was also looking for a different career. <laughs> so I was done. And um, I'd always been interested in health and wellness. And so I got a health coaching certification and um, loved seeing one-on-one -on -one clients. It's still one of my favorite things I do. But I started noticing, you know, as I'm learning about trauma and, you know, obviously had a very extensive trauma-informed background and training, I started realizing, oh, I can I apply the, some of the things I'm learning about how to take care of ourselves, how to nourish our body, how our body is physically responding to the stress that we're under, how our brain is shifting our worldview based off of what we're experiencing. Can I take all this information and serve my team? And so I took it back to my organization and I, you know, was, I started these team times where I was just investing in them as people, not as employees, it's not as people who can do more work, but just, I see you, I see that you're a person, I see what you're going through. Here's some ways that we can support you. We're, we're humans and we're gonna speak to the humanness of us. And it worked. And I had team members come up to me and say, I don't think I would still be here if it weren't for you. I don't think I could be doing this work, but this has really helped. And so I was just like, okay, I think I might be onto something. Um, and so I started Good Sustain as a way to support social service providers, to support our overall well-being, to work with organizations and individuals and support our response to stress, but also just, you know, improve our operations, improve how we do this work and really come at it from a place of honoring our own humanity. Um, so that's kind of my origin story, if you will, and how I got to doing what I'm doing. Do you find it interesting that 
these very organizations that people get involved with, like like you had been involved with, they go through these cycles of stress, burnout, and all that because you're trying to help somebody else. That sometimes the organizations that are so uh, motivated, mission minded to help others, they forget to help themselves and the people that's on their team. And it causes this kind of burnout. And, and I've seen this time after time after time. Uh, and it seems like in nonprofit organizations, it's probably even more prevalent uh, because we're too busy trying to save the world when you need to take time to save yourself. What do you think? That's one of the main reasons I started this work. I was at a, a conference, the DFPS Trafficking Summit in Texas. And I heard this beautiful panel and there were four survivor leaders on this panel. And the, the panel was titled something about professionals. And it was these survivors talking about their experience with different service providing professionals. And every single one of them said in different ways, I, we just want to be treated like a person. I wish I was treated like a person. And I sat back and I thought, man, I, I hope I can almost guarantee, I think that none of these professionals that they interacted with meant to treat them less than a person. So what happened? And I, a, a couple of weeks later, I overheard someone in an anti-trafficking organization talk about someone else on their team. And she said something like, oh, I get emails from her at 3 a.m. all the morning. She's a superwoman. And I just, I kind of cocked my head a little bit and I thought, super woman, super meaning above. And if I come at, if I approach my work, if I approach you as a person needing my support as a super person, then you're automatically going to feel sub. Like there's automatically distance there. And when we as providers approach our work from this superhuman mentality, we risk furthering the divide that we're actually working to shrink, which is the otherness of our communities. You need help. You're over there. You've had this issue. And I'm compassionate. I'm empathetic. So I'm coming in. But I can't relate because I don't have needs. I can't relate because I don't take care of my, I don't acknowledge my own hunger. I haven't slept. I haven't been to my kids' baseball games all year because I'm working. When we start to distance ourselves from our own humanity, and what I mean by that, because humanity is beautiful, and we're complex, and we are both powerful and vulnerable, and we love the powerful side, right? Especially in nonprofits that are mission-oriented. We're all about what we can do, what we can accomplish, and we're here for you. But if we don't also acknowledge, I get hungry, I get tired, I get sad, I get angry, I have other relationships, I have other things in my life that are important to me. We lose touch with our own humanity, but then we approach the people that we're trying to serve and we have distanced ourselves from the very thing that, that makes us connect, from the very thing that can empower the person in front of us. And what we do when we overextend in that way is that we, in our own minds, exaggerate our own abilities and we disconnect with our, our struggle or our need or our limits. But then we reflect those same limits on the person we're serving and we almost forget to see, oh, they actually are powerful and can make 
good decisions for themselves. They they need resources, they need support, but they don't need me. They don't need my everything. They don't need all of my time. And so I think when I say I want to shift our approach to social service, what I'm really talking about is that, is that divide between provider and client where we lose touch with that humanity. Um, and I think we risk losing touch with the humanity in our clients because we've lost touch with it in ourselves. And that will contribute to burnout and it will ultimately impact our mission. Absolutely. Do you, and, and do you think, because I think what you're talking about and speaking about isn't just relevant to social work. I can see this, because you mentioned you're a believer, I can see this in church work. Uh, I can see this in police officers and first responders and the doctors that I work with at Baylor and Texas Children's, uh, the administrative assistants. I can see this in, in every type of work. It's just that you chose that focus uh, for your group that you want to try to help and get them to be uh, more excellent in taking care of themselves and being aware of this type of impact of the the time and the, the stress, correct? Yeah, I'm, I've kind of framed it, my, my target audience, if you will, is anyone that works with people who have experienced trauma. Um, so if you are, like you said, law enforcement, um, any type of social service provider, whether that's human trafficking or domestic violence or CPS, um, there's so, so many of us, right? If we're working in social justice and we're coming up against um, people who have been hurt, who've been marginalized, who've been oppressed, um, that takes a toll on us. And I think that's that just wasn't acknowledged when I started this work was this will cost you something. Um, and I think that's good and right. And it's just, it's just fact, it's true. This work will cost us something. Um, but my gut reaction was just like, okay, here's everything. <laughs> and I had, I had no boundaries. I had no distance. And so when I began to lose myself, well, then I got bitter and angry. And I think there's a, a place for us to say, um, to count the cost, yes, and to realize this is not going to be easy, but to make that a calculated cost. Um, because what I learned is when we're still focused on fighting darkness, right? When we're like attacking the thing that we want to shift or change. Um, we spend all of our energy. I'm, I defined it. What do you do for a living? Oh, I, you know, we fight human trafficking. It's like, we're, we're so focused on the thing we're against. And what I realized was, what if I spend my entire life fighting this thing and then we win? We do it. It's over. What's left? <laughs> We've ignored our families. We've ignored our hobbies, our creativity, the things that make us come alive because we were so focused on fighting this thing. And so I have this phrase, orient to the light, which is, yes, we can we can combat darkness and we can stand for justice and we can work for change, but we have to invest in the things that make us us. We have to invest in the things that make life worth living. And I found that it was really hard for me to tap into joy and creativity and rest and relationships when there was so much work to be done, when there was so much darkness that I was consumed by. I, it was hard for me to relax. It was hard for me to laugh. It was hard for me to connect. It was hard for me to have relationships with people because I was just 
I wanted to scream at people. You don't know what I heard today. You don't know what I saw today. It was so isolating. Um, and there just wasn't any support or resources to help teach me how to do that. And so that's what I want to do for people is help people realize that we don't have to live this way. And as a matter of fact, we shouldn't live this way, that this isn't the best practice, if you will, for us to engage in social work in this way. Um, and so I want to help people build healthy lifestyles. I want individuals and organizations to have healthy lifestyles in every aspect so that when we approach our work, we're coming at it from a healthy place. I tell you what, you have just proved to me and the listeners why I wanted you on the program because I can just sit back and listen because the wisdom that just pours out of you is unbelievable. We're going to take uh, our first, uh, our only commercial break. And on the other side of this, I want to find out how do you deal with now that we realize, hey, wait, there's an elephant in the room that we've been walking past and he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and he's taking over everything. How do we deal with that? Um, and what's some of the best practices to be able to have some self-care. And then I want to kind of, while you're on the program, I want to drill into your brain a little bit, into your wisdom and your experience. So what do you think about uh, secondary trauma, vicarious trauma, and uh, see how important that is for those of us that are dealing with it every day? Are we ignoring it? Are we pushing it down? How do we know when we've hit our limit and how do we deal with it? And I know you have wisdom on that. 888-627-6008. I would love for somebody to call and just talk to Kristen tonight. If you have a question or a comment, one of her friends, somebody on her team that has some scoop on her, whatever you want, call the BBS radio station. They will patch you right all through. And Krista or I will deal with the question or comment and we'll bring you on live. But we'll be right back after this very, very short commercial break. And you won't want to miss the next 25 minutes. Be right back. From HCI Publishing, that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It. And the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back to the program and just looks like the sun is just setting back here. I just love that. I just want to just sit there and look at it. Uh, 888-627-6008 uh, is the way to talk right to the guest tonight, Krista Mayfield. Or you can get on the um, Shattered by the Darkest Facebook page. I have it right up here. My, my son, Curtis, in Seattle, Washington, in the United States Army is running that. And uh, we have all kinds of 
uh, people so far is just saying, hey, great program. Wow, where do you find this person? You know, just some wonderful, you know, I'm already getting, look at this, uh, things that are happening. Uh, there's all no questions yet that we can share. But uh, so you you mentioned when you came up with Good Sustain and founded that, that you wanted to do it your way and help other people make, and I think you have in your bio, make the shift from being in survival mode to being in a state of purpose of being a safe place of energizing yourself. How do you do that, Krista, when what you're dealing with and what these social groups are dealing with um, are dealing with the most unbelievable type of scenes uh, and abuse that some people have no grasp of what it's even all about. How do you make that shift? How do you start helping them? I think understanding how our brain and bodies work has been really helpful for me um, because it's taken it from this like concept to going, oh, there's there's a system at, at play here and I can learn how to roll with that system. So we we know that the brain is got pretty much just one priority and that is to keep us alive. And as it does that, and it does it beautifully for most of us, it's scanning our environment and through our senses, our, our eyes, our ears, what we see, hear, taste, smell, touch, it's telling us if we're safe or not. And our, our brain learns over time what is and isn't safe. Someone's tone, a smell in the air, a, a sound, a sight. Our, our brains and bodies are constantly learning throughout our life. Signals and cues that will tell us, are we safe? Are we not safe? And we know that the brain really looks for three main things, the three main categories of threats, if you will. Harm, like, you know, hurt, lack, not enough, or disconnection, social disconnection, harm, lack, disconnection. Our brain is constantly scanning for these three things. And when it sees that in our environment, when it perceives that based off of past experiences or other information, it will put our body into a stress response. It's responding to that threat. Now that's all of life, right? But we've chosen to work in social services with people of experienced trauma. We see trauma for a living. So our entire worldview, our entire environment is screaming harm, lack, disconnection, whether that's the story that I'm hearing from my client or um, the conversation I'm having in my director's meeting. There aren't enough beds. You know, we're tight on money. There's, you know, and then there's all the relational tension and, and disconnection. And our environments are, are full of harm, lack, disconnection just by default. And so it's, it's, it was a little silly for me to, to walk into that space to know all about trauma. It wasn't like I didn't know. We were trained, right? But we were trained to see it for the client. And I was so client focused that I didn't see it happening to myself, that my brain, that my body was responding to what I was seeing. And we know because we tell our clients, right? We, we see this in the people that we serve, that the actions of the things that work for survival, 
what works for surviving doesn't work for thriving, right? The reasons that survival coping mechanisms are harmful um, is because they were important and they worked in the moment. And then when you left that stressful situation and you still apply those same coping mechanisms, you end up harming yourself or harming other people. And that's the process of healing, right? Of any of any trauma. We have to unlearn the behaviors that once kept us safe because now they no longer serve us. But if we turn that mirror towards ourselves and we go, oh, what am I, am I acting out of survival and not out of thriving? And I think the big shift that we, we have to make some mental mindset shifts first. And so a lot of my work is about our perception and our, our mindset, because again, our brains control everything, every physical, physiological response, our actions, our processes, our strategy, our brains control it all. And so I know mindset can be like, a, oh, that sounds a little like, like a, a cop out almost, right? But it, it's the most important start. And, and then from the mindset, we get into some physical strategies, we get into some, to some organizational strategies, but I start the way we think. Because if I think that I'm stuck and I'm trapped, we know that trauma, that you know, according to the definition, trauma is something that happens to you. And, and there's research to suggest that when someone has a, a sense of choice, we don't see trauma. Um, we see this, there's, um, there's some studies done with um, what people see on the internet. And so if you witness violence of some kind, you could be at risk for secondary trauma. If you witness it, if you hear about it, you are at risk to secondarily feel the effects as if you were there firsthand. But the caveat to that is if you're watching a show or you're watching something on the internet, if you chose to sit there and consume that media, you are not at risk for trauma. The caveat to that is unless you had to watch it for your job. So that tells us that choice plays a really big role in trauma. So what happens when I show up at work every day and I, I have to take that call? My gut response, my brain feels, I have to take this phone call. I had to go to that meeting. I had to say no to another family dinner. I had to do this thing. On one hand, yes, it's your responsibility. But that feeling of I'm trapped, I'm being told, I'm being sucked into this thing, that is traumatic. Where can we tap into our choice? I choose to be here. I chose this job. I'm saying yes to this moment. Or I'm saying no to this moment. I need to step out. But finding our, our place of choice whether you work in law enforcement or especially emergency response, tapping in, okay, I, I got a phone call. I'm on call tonight. I have to answer the phone. I choose to answer the phone. When we tap into that place of choice, we take some of that power back and we remove that, that trauma piece. And that's really important. Um, and is for that me, your brain or is that, is, is that trick your brain? When you convince yourself, I choose to pick up this phone, or is it something that starts being ingrained in who you are and why you're doing what you're doing? Great question, because we actually can't trick our brain, right? But our bodies know the truth. Your body knows the truth. And so what I had to do was I had to start really listening. 
when you, when you get that phone call and there's that gut punch, when you feel dread in the pit of your stomach, that should give you pause. Now, what for a lot of us, we have been programmed to shut that off, turn it down, ignore it. And we turn to other things to numb the anxiety, to numb the dread, to numb the avoidance, or we just push past it or we religious it, you know, we, we try to get away from it because we feel like we're supposed to do this thing and we need to, we have to. And that just perpetuates that cycle. So it's not a matter of tricking, it's a matter of honesty. And if your listeners, if, if I have learned anything, our path to healing is radical honesty. We have to be honest with ourselves about how we feel, what we're experiencing, and not be ashamed of it and not make it especially when it's less than, right? When it's vulnerable, when it's scary, when I feel limited, I I that I need to acknowledge that all the more. So yeah, if you get that phone call and you're just like, oh, okay, do you, honestly, do you honestly choose to do this job or do you honestly need to maybe find something else? So and that's not a, you're not good enough. This is, Path to healing, radical honesty. I'm writing this stuff down as fast as I can. I told you y'all, y'all need a piece of paper and pencil. Um, so when we do, when the phone rings, like you said, is because it doesn't happen every time the phone rings, just certain times. So when that starts to do the, uh, is that a red flag that ought to set off an alarm for us? Hey, wait, I need to step back. I need to take care of me. Uh, there's, there's something happening that I don't want to continue to happen? And does it, should it cause us to alert a problem within us that we need to deal with in that radical honesty of, hey, wait, I need some self-care here? Absolutely. Because when we, when we feel any sort of stress response, what it's really telling us is that something we value is at stake. Something, something that we value is at stake in this moment. So you get that phone call, you're happy to answer it. And then you get that phone call or whatever the, the situation is, right? And all of a sudden you feel that dread. Okay, what's what's different now? Have I not eaten today? Am I really tired? Did I have a Did I have plans tonight? And this is interrupting those plans. Like we have to start asking ourselves, and I, I teach people do a values assessment, see what what matters to you around you and what's at stake because always always saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else yeah but when we work in social service with people that and situations that are so heartbreaking and so awful we feel like that's the only thing that deserves a yes this deserves all of my yeses but what happens is that everything else begins to get a no you get a no your family gets a no your friends get a no and that's where that orienting to the light is really important because the reason that we're working in social service and social justice is we want to see people live whole, full, free lives. But we think that in order to do that, we have to give up that. And right. the math just doesn't work there, right? Like what we, if you've heard, you know, what you focus on grows or what you, you know, pay attention to expands. If we're focused on the harm, if we're focused on the lack, if we're focused on the disconnection, we're likely to see those things expand, maybe. But what what's not going to grow, what we're not watering, is the things that 
matter to us, right? The world that we're trying to create. We have to live in the world we're trying to create, not abandon it and then come back to it when this gets fixed. Mm-hmm. And so when we feel that dread, when we feel that anxiety, when we feel that that wall, it shouldn't be a you're a bad employee, you're a bad mom, get over yourself. They, you know, they have it worse than you do. We we say all kind of judgmental things to ourselves. What if we didn't judge it? What if we just said, what else do I value that's at stake here? And what choices do I need to make? We have a lot of choices and it's not always black or white, but there's some, there's some boundary setting, right? I can do this, but I can't do that. I'm willing to do this, but I have to cut it off at this time. We have to learn to navigate that, but we'll never learn to navigate that if we're not first honest with ourselves. And so let's say we have 2 million people listening right now and uh they they need to go hey wait i feel your i feel what you're doing I, i'm going through the pain i'm going through the agony i'm uh, every time i have to get up and go to work in the morning every time somebody calls i get mad because i have to interrupt to answer the phone i'm in that mode what wisdom do you have to share with the listeners tonight of saying hey wait this is a thing that i have learned of how to create in me sometime type of lifestyle care that I can incorporate in my life weekly, monthly, maybe daily. What do you think, Krista? I mean, how do we help us uh, get through the, the this coming week? Because it's going to be a stressful week. Help us. I heard a phrase that really was what launched me into this work. And I was at a incredible training by Dr. Dan Sarder. He trains on trauma, just an incredible person. And he said this one nugget that it's been four years and it stuck with me. He said, the remedy for compassion fatigue is to receive compassion yourself. The remedy for compassion fatigue is to receive compassion yourself. We think we can just pour and pour and pour and pour and pour and pour and pour. And then we wonder why we're tired and angry and, and bitter and we resent that phone call. We resent our kid asking us for something. Our partner needs something from us. And we're just like, I can't, I don't have it to give. If you've ever felt that I don't have it to give, that is compassion fatigue. You have given all you can and you are empty, but it's your job and you keep showing up or it's your family and you keep showing up. There is no remedy for that other than to receive compassion yourself. And that requires, what was that? How do I refuel? That requires two things. One, it requires asking. It requires letting someone know where you're at. So do communicate. Communicate. Be vulnerable. Be vulnerable. Do what our clients are doing. Our clients are asking for help. Our clients are coming to us for help. We are also human and we also need help. And we need to come to people that we trust and say, hey, I'm tired. I'm burned out. I'm sorry I snapped at you. This is how I'm feeling. And when someone looks at us in the eye and says, man, that's really hard. Thank you for telling me. That's like a little pour in our heart. But we have to first be willing to to share. And then we have to be willing to receive. We have to be willing to receive. And what I have found is that people in this space, a lot of us become 
social servants or public servants or helpers because we don't like to receive because we've been, we have some kind of hang up or trauma around receiving. I've always been the giver. I've always been the helper. I've always been the linchpin in my family. Um, we tend to gravitate towards these professions because we're able to distance ourselves from our own pain, but this work brings up our own pain. And then we try to shove it, stuff it or numb it or something. I think you're on to something more. It's hard for us to receive, but if you're going to do the work of being vulnerable and asking for help, we have to be willing to let someone pour that into us. We can also do that for ourselves, right? We can acknowledge you had a hard day today. That was, you did not want to do that. And you, and you did it because it mattered to you. You were, you were honest with yourself or, you know what? You blew it today, Krista, you blew it, but you know what? You are human and everybody blows it. And tomorrow's a new day. Can you extend compassion to yourself? I think that's really important, but I will say, I don't think it will fix the compassion fatigue. Um, I don't, it's not, it's not the same as having someone else see you in your weakness, see you in your vulnerability and, and love you or, or support you or be there for you in that moment. That is, that's fresh wind in our lungs. And that puts us in touch with our humanity so that in the next day, when I go into work, I'm not giving my client something out of that. I haven't experienced. I'm saying, look, hon, this was me yesterday. I'm in it with you. I got my own stuff. You got your stuff. We're all humans together. I'm here to support you. We're locking arms, right? It's not about me being above you and pulling you up. I'm I'm, I'm a human and I'm locking arms with you because I'm not above you. You're not beneath me. We're in this together. We're all on our journeys. And I can't do it for you just like they couldn't do it for me, but we can do it together and there's something so healing about that i just don't like to receive uh do you have that issue oh yes i, <laughs> I don't think i do and then i and then people tell me that that's even worse <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't i i wait for i'll give 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 but somebody try to give to me it's like oh no no, no no i'm all right and then i'll go sit in a dark room and try to get through it but it's so difficult, and I never really put that together with the trauma. And I mean, that that goes hand in hand, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's again, it's that place that when, when we say, "Oh, I'm okay. I don't need that." That you, but what we're saying is, you need that. We're we're not telling our clients to like suck it up, right? We're not telling our clients to push away help or support. We we want them to want help, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what part that perpetuates that divide. Oh, I don't need help. I'm I'm good, but but you you take the day off, right? You and leaders, CEOs, I love you. Lead by example. Don't tell your team to take time off. Don't and if you're doing that, great, because a lot of leaders aren't. But if you are one of those leaders, kudos to you. But also take your own advice, lead by example, take time off, have weekends. And so I talk a lot about self-care because self-care is obviously really important. We need to have those practices in place. And so one of the, you know, that can look like getting sleep. That can look like investing in relationships that make you happy. That can look like practicing creativity and making time for it. 
that can look like your nutrition and, you know, getting good movement in, just overall healthy lifestyle. That can be healthy boundaries. So we have to have self-care practices. And that's something that no one else can do for you. The only person who's really going to take care of yourself is you. And I, I read a quote somewhere. Um, Treat your body like a house you're going to live in for the next 70 years. Like invest in yourself, invest in your life, invest in your well-being. Self-care is so important. But what I will say is that in the last few years, which I'm thankful for, there's been a lot of self-care talk in the social service space, which is amazing because it wasn't like that when I started. It wasn't even a conversation. So I'm, I'm grateful that we're talking about it. But what I'm hearing a lot of, you know, word on the street is that the, the narrative is take care of your clients, take care of your job, then go home and take care of your family. Oh, and take care of yourself so that you can come back to work and keep doing the thing. And there's this aspect of like self-care is another responsibility that we're putting onto our staff's shoulders in the hopes that they won't burn out. so They can keep working for us. And what I teach people is I'm not here. I, I love breath work. I do all the self-care practices, but I'm not here to extend your fuse so that you will burn out later. I'm here to put the light out. We have to put the light out and acknowledge that we don't actually have to live this. Social service does not have to be this looming threat of burnout, looming threat of deteriorating away until there's nothing left of you. So in the last minute that we have, um, yeah. if we have a minute, I think we do. Um, if somebody, what's good sustain do, and how can how can people reach out to you, and what would service would you provide to them if they're an organization that needs you to come in and and help them? I provide workshops and trainings for organizations on how to build resiliency, how to build healthy teams. I do consulting, which I love. So it's a deep dive. My consulting work is a deep dive with the organization to see where's the stress coming from. And we do employee surveys and observations and put together a whole strategy to operationalize some what I call corporate care. So not just self-care, but corporate care. We're going to intentionally make decisions to take care of our staff. And we're going to put it in systematically like we put in every other program. We're going to strategize it, plan for it, plan for the trauma because it's coming because it's just what we do, right? So we have and then I also do a, day, a two day, a half a day, an hour. You we break it up in any way that they have available. Yep. I, you know, my trainings are, you know, anywhere between an hour and three and they can be interactive. We can do some all day workshops. We really get some good time to process and plan and, and talk some through some things together. Um, I talk a lot about health and wellness and nutrition because there's a really big piece to that in our stress response. But I'm also talking about the mindset. We're coming at it from both angles. And then I also do one-on-one -on -one health coaching with clients. And I'm helping you build a healthy, thriving lifestyle that you feel in control of and that you feel proud of. Because um, when we feel well in our lifestyle, all these elements are, are working in our favor. The, the work that we do and the way that we show up will just blossom. So if they want to get in touch with you, uh, all the people listening, uh, hopefully your phone and emails will go off the hook. Um, 
how do they do that? What's the best way to get in touch with you, Kristen? Goodsustained.com is my website. You can see my services, my about page, contact me there. And I'm also on Instagram at good underscore sustained. I would love to chat with you, hit you up, have some conversations. I'll tell you what, I appreciate so much you coming on the program tonight. I am so glad that I shared a meeting with you and I'm looking forward to working together with you uh, on some committees together. And uh, thank you so much because I, I learned so much. and I'm, I'm taking notes like crazy. So thank you for sharing and thank you for coming on. Anytime you want to come on, anything we can do for you, holler and we'll be there. Thank you so much, Krista. Thank you, Dr. Greg. I have so much respect for you. I'm very grateful for the work that you do. Goodsustain.com. Yes, sir. Get on there right now and reach out to Krista because every organization needs this wisdom probably tomorrow morning. I'm uh, here for it. <laughs> give her a shot and you won't be disappointed. Thank you so much, Krista. Have an Thank awesome day. As we do Can each and every week, I always like to, to close the program just letting you know that no matter what kind of stress level you're at right now, no matter how many ugs you're doing when the phone rings or what, oh, I got to wake up in the morning, I got to be at the office at 3.30. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of the chair to do it? I don't know, but I always want to remind you, no matter where you're at, take time to breathe, take a step back, take some of these things that Krista shared with you tonight, but always remember, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, that's why I close this way every week, there's always hope. There is hope for you. Never forget it. By the way, stop wasting your time on things that don't matter. Join us right here next week. You won't want to miss it. Nathan Spiteri, uh, that's going to be talking about his life, his trauma, and how he's overcome in an awesome book that they're making into a movie right now called Toy Cars. Join us next week for another edition of Breaking the Silence. God bless. Have an awesome week and stay cool. And we'll see you next Sunday night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence.